generally go through a book, um, what we call expository preaching. It's we, we start at chapter one of that book and we, we go right until the end. Uh, we did that with Ephesians all of last year. Uh, whereas this is slightly different. We uh, go to different passages in the Bible. Uh, we, we make a statement. We look at a principle and then we look at Scripture and say, well, where do we see that? Where is that applied in Scripture? And so that's what we're going to be doing uh, these next four weeks. And so the, the, the first one, um, is simply titled Think Big, right? And I'll jump into that and explain what that means. Uh, what does it mean to think big if we're trying to understand what it means to be courageous? Now, this is a timely series. I really think so. I think we're, we're entering into this uh, series at, at a very important and unique time right here in our country. I mean, so much has happened since the beginning of the year. We all uh, welcomed 2016 uh, with just so much that was happening in our nation from just racial unrest to just political instability, to what's happening financially. It's leaving a lot of people wondering, listen, what does the future of our country look like? There's so much uncertainty right now. In fact, on Facebook uh, yesterday, I uh, read that, um, I don't know how true this is, but I heard that, that Barclays is thinking about uh, selling their, the shares that they own of APSA. And so I can only imagine what, what people are going, well, what does that mean for me? I wonder what that means for me. There's so much uncertainty. And in times like that, generally what people tend to do is they feel, either feel immobilized or they flee. Right? You start asking the question, hmm, maybe, maybe Australia is not too bad. <laughs> but, but what I want to say, what I want to say this morning, and what I want to say right throughout the series is we should engage in times of uncertainty. We should, we should step in in times of uncertainty. And I believe, I believe the Bible communicates to us how we are to do that, how we are to be courageous in the midst of uncertainty. That we're not to be drawn or driven by fear, but rather we're to look to God and ask, what does a life look like that's courageous? And so this morning we're going to start with the first one, and like I said, it's titled Think Big. And we're going to look at a, a few passages in the Old Testament. Right? We're going to look at a few passages in the Old Testament, particularly two stories, and we'll try to draw out some principles from these stories, helping us to understand what, why should we think big? Why should we think big when, when wanting to be courageous? And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to pray for us. I usually read the passage, but I'm going to work through it, and so I'll pray first, and then we'll get to work, all right? And as I pray, I'm praying for you, I ask that you would pray for me, that God would do something more powerful than we could ever imagine right here this morning. And so let's pray. Father, we thank you for this tremendous opportunity to open up your word. Uh, what a privilege it is and an act of grace by you. I think of our brothers and sisters uh, who are in different parts of the world who do this in secret. Father, I pray that you would give them strength and wisdom that your spirit would lead. And that same spirit would be present here with us this morning. And so I ask that you would open up our hearts, open up our minds, that we would hear from you what it is you have in store for us. Starting a new series, Father, I pray over this series. I pray that you would use it to make your people bold, that you would drive out fear and anxiety uncertainty, that you would remove that from us and that we as the church would be able to stand and that people would look and, and, and would almost be puzzled and ask the question, how is it that you guys 
are able to, to smile in the midst of everything that's going on in our country. And that our one answer would be it's because of what God is doing. That he has never left us. Yes, he may be silent at times, but he never leaves us. We serve and love a God who is fully engaged. And so would you engage our hearts this morning? In Jesus' beautiful, beautiful name. Amen. Amen. So, um, so think big. We're going to jump into 2 Samuel chapter 23. Is that right? Yeah, 2 Samuel chapter 23. And, uh, and we're going to look at the, the first story that we're going to look at is, is the life of a guy called Benaniah, right? Benaniah. So chapter 23, you can go to verse 20. Uh, but before we start reading this, the, the life, the short, brief life of Benaniah that we're given, before we jump into that, I thought, let me give some context to what's going on here. And so uh, Kenny spoke about David, King David, right? A very well-known character uh, in the Old Testament, a man after God's own heart, as he was described. David had uh, some mighty men. He had some brothers that he kept close to him. Uh, we hear of these guys in 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 8 to 39, and also in 1 Chronicles chapter 11, verse 10 to 47. Now, some say there were 30, some say there were 37, but I want you to know that David had quite a few mighty men. These are men that he trusted, that he leaned on when times were tough. And within that 30, he had three. Now, these guys were phenomenal. I mean, some of the stories uh, that is said about them is, is quite amazing. But the, the three were Joseph Baseh Shebeth, that's one name, Elisa, and then Shammah. The three within the 30 or 37 of, God's, of David's mighty men. Now, Benaniah was one of the, the, the 30 or the 37. He was part of the bigger group. And so that's who we're going to look at to, to try to draw some principles out to, to help us understand what it means to think big as we seek to be courageous, all right? And so I'm going to read from chapter 20, 2 Samuel Chapter 23, verse 20. Hear these words of our father. And Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, was a valiant man of Kabzil. Now, now Kabzil was the, the southern uh, part, the region that belonged to the tribe called Judah, right? That's the region that these guys were from. Benaniah said that he was a doer of great deeds. He struck down two aerials of Moab, an aerial just meaning a, a warrior, right? So he struck down two warriors of this tribe called Moab. He also went down and struck down a lion in a pit on a day when snow had fallen. And he struck down an Egyptian, a handsome man. And when I read that the first time, I was like, okay, why, why add handsome man in there? That seems kind of random, but... Uh, but as I began to dig deeper, I found out that the, the Old Testament, whenever it, it mentions a handsome man, it's actually communicating that, that this individual was a man of great stature, that he himself was a warrior, that he was phenomenal. And so we're told that Benaniah struck down this Egyptian. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but Benaniah went down to him with a staff, with a, with a stick, if you will, and snatched the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Hashtag beast mode. Verse 22, these things, these things did Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, 
and won a name beside the three mighty men. He was renowned among the thirty, but did not attain to the three. And David set him over his bodyguard. Now this is an interesting story. An interesting story that I believe that we can draw some pretty important principles in helping us understand what it, what it means to be courageous. How do we think big so that we might be courageous? I want to say this almost as the foundation for this morning. Because I want you to know that often, often God strategically places us in the right place and at the right time. I want to lay that as a foundation this morning, is that God often strategically places us in the right place and at the right time. Now, here's the thing. Often to us, it doesn't seem like the right place or the right time. I feel like that often. It just doesn't feel like, oh, God, what are you doing? This, this isn't the right time. This isn't the right, the right place. What are you doing? I mean, I think of Ben and I. We're not given much of, of what was going on, and, but I can only imagine when you're taking a walk and then you see a lion, you think into yourself, man, this is not the right time or the right place. <laughs> but he ends up killing the lion. Comes across an Egyptian, and, and I can only imagine this Egyptian, oh, tremendous, fear, fearless warrior. And we're told Benaniah grabs his spear and kills him with it. See, what I believe we can learn from this brief story of Ben and I that we're given and kind of leads us to our first point to help us understand how to think big when wanting to be courageous is that our past experiences prepare us for future opportunities. Our past experiences prepare us for future opportunities. See, we're told right at the end of Ben and I's story is that, is that David made him kind of the, the, the overseer of his bodyguards. He was in charge of the bodyguards. But how, how did he get that post? I, I can only imagine David sitting on his throne and maybe going through some CVs, going, I need to appoint uh, a guy who's going to oversee my bodyguards. And so he's going through some CVs. Uh, the first one, uh, the guy's like, a, he graduated cum laude from the University of Jerusalem. That's pretty cool. Goes to the next one. This, this next guy, he... He did his internship under King Saul, the king before David. Pretty impressive. But then he gets to Benaniah, and he says, this brother killed a lion on a snowy day and then killed an Egyptian warrior with his own spear. That's the guy I'm hiring. That's the guy I want to, to be the overseer of my bodyguards. When I think protection... I think Benaniah, and here's the thing, I don't think Benaniah, when he saw the lion, when he saw the Egyptian, was thinking, man, this could really set me up to be the guy that, that oversees the bodyguard. I don't think that's what he was doing. But rather, he stepped into those situations with courage. God is always using our past experiences for future opportunities. And so the how you engage whatever current situation or struggle or challenge you're going through will have an impact in the future. That's just how God operates. Let me share a personal story just to, to prove this, this, this the reality that, that it's the small steps of courage that God looks at. 
It's the small steps of courage that God looks at and says, you know what? There's coming a time where I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you to do something amazing. Because here's the thing, and it might just be me. Man, I want a Moses-like story. I want a David-like story. I want the, the disciples-like story. I, I want that kind of fame. I, I often pray and say, Lord, would you use me to do something tremendously amazing for your kingdom? Because I look at those stories and I'm like, wow, that's what I want. But I don't realize that how they got there was small steps of courage. Small steps of courage. I told you that one of the guys that inspires me is Moses. And he parted the Red Sea, led the people to the promised land. But sometimes it's like I only look at the highlights and I don't see the full story. How often do we do that when when we look to people that we're like, man, I want to be like that. We look at the highlights and we don't look at, at the small little steps of courage that they took in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of difficulty. God uses those small steps. He notices them and he uses them. I know some of you may not believe me what I'm about to say to you because I've often said it to people and they're always like, no, never. You, never. That public speaking was not my thing. I was actually, I was actually a, I heard it. I, I was actually a, a prefect in high school, believe it or not. And, um, man, this is not a good Sunday. Um, and one of the responsibilities of the prefect was to stand at assembly and, and read out the announcements for that day, right? And so there was a rotation. And so each prefect had the opportunity every day to stand up in front of our school. We had like 800 students and then give the announcements. So obviously my name as a prefect was on the rotation list. But this is what I did. Because of my tremendous fear of public speaking, I would always trade out. Whenever it was my turn, I'd be like, listen, bro, can I, can I do your gate duty? I want to stand at the gate and, and, you know, those kids that are late, I want to report on them. <laughs> and I'd always give some excuse like, yeah, you know, because uh, I'm, I'm firm and I, I apply discipline and so those guys will know. But really, it was a tremendous fear of public speaking. I was so fearful of it that when we had to give speeches in class, I remember asking my English teacher if I could come do it after school. I mean, she could see on my face that this this guy, there was no way he was going to stand in front of the class, 30 people, and give his speech. So she was so gracious, she allowed me to do it. But but I'm showing you that tremendous fear. And so how, how, how did I get to where I am today? I got the opportunity um, years later in varsity after becoming a Christian, uh, one of the guys that was mentoring me came up to me and said, hey, listen, I'd love for you to give a talk at a camp that we're doing this weekend. It's about 30 minutes. And in that moment, in that moment, I was like, you know what? I could come up with another lie because I don't want people to know that I'm fearful of this. We do this all the time. I don't want people to, so it's like, oh, I'm, I'm busy. I've got, no, but I can't use I'm busy because I'm going to the camp. I'm going to be there. So that's not going to work. Um, maybe... But it was in that moment I decided to, to take a step, to be courageous. It wasn't the greatest 30 minutes of my life. Probably wasn't the greatest talk I've ever given. But I know God used it. I can stand here and tell you I know God used it. 
God uses those small steps of courage to prepare you, to prepare you for future opportunities. The second point I want us to look at is that opportunities, these opportunities are often disguised as problems. These opportunities are often disguised as problems. For Benaniah was the, the lion or the Egyptian. For Abraham, it was the fact that he had to leave his home. God said to him, I want you to leave your home. For David, it was Goliath. For Esther, it was risking her life before the king to save her people. These opportunities are often disguised as problems. But it's so interesting how how people can look at the same problem but come out with different solutions, different outcomes, different realities. We often look at problems and we feel the weight of it and we don't realize that there's an opportunity there. See, people who usually think big, when they look at a problem, they see a solution. When they look at a problem, they see a solution. I I would almost, I'd go as far as to say almost every single business that has done well has looked at a problem and said, you know what, I think I might have a solution. Where everyone goes, you know what, can't engage, don't know what to do. They go, there's an opportunity here. There's an opportunity for us to engage. The disciples were no different with Jesus. The story of the five loaves and the two fish where they fed thousands, this story found in Matthew chapter 14, verse 13 to 21, there were were thousands of people showing up and the disciples were like, Jesus, we we need to tell these people to go home because how are we going to feed everyone? This is a massive problem. Jesus saw the same situation and he saw an opportunity to go, you know what, we can... We can reveal to these people, but we can reveal to the disciples that our God is generous, that he cares for his people. He saw an opportunity. And so if you're wanting to think big, if you're wanting to be courageous, you've often, you have to see opportunities in the midst of problems. And here's the thing, what happens to you is not as important as what happens in you. What happens to you is not as important as what happens in you. Because generally people go through uh, these three stages when they're facing a challenge, right? The first one is awareness. They're aware of the situation. They're aware of the problem. That then takes them to evaluate it and go, okay, so now what's going to happen here? I can either engage or I can live in defeat. I can either get busy trying to do something or be immobilized. You evaluate. And after evaluating, you then make a choice. You then make a choice. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Are you going to flee or are you going to engage? And this is all a matter of attitude. See, we often think our credentials and qualifications and gifts are the cause of our success. And though they play a significant role in that, what gets you over the line is your attitude. That's why I said what happens in, to you is not as important as what happens in you. 
This is what separates successful entrepreneurs and athletes from everyone else. Many have the same talent. They train the same. But it's that attitude that gets them over the finish line. But let me, let me contextualize that for us as Christians, for the church. See, for us, this, this attitude that I speak about is, is what I call faith. It's faith. Faith is what makes the difference. Faith is what's going to separate us from achieving great things from God's size things. It's faith. It's trusting in God. And I believe for many of us, our greatest regrets will be missed opportunities. Will be missed opportunities. We will look back on our lives and go, man, I, I wish I had, I had more faith to trust to be able to do. Don't miss the opportunities that God has placed before you. And here's the thing, many of those opportunities are often disguised as problems. The opportunity to plant a church, a transcultural, gospel-centered, disciple-making church right here in the city of Pretoria. I've had people come to me and say, listen, I love the vision. This idea of bringing people from all different walks of life, ethnicities, socioeconomic levels, culturally. Man, that's a beautiful vision. But don't you want to go do it in Joburg? What about Cape Town? Because those cities are a lot more forward thinking. It's going to be really difficult to do it here, the birthplace of apartheid. Come on, buddy. See, where you see a problem, in faith, I see a tremendous opportunity to do something God-size, like bigger than we could ever imagine. Those opportunities are often disguised as problems. The third thing in, in thinking big and helping us to think big is we need to trust God regardless the size of your problem. The, trust God re, regardless of the size of the problem. See, what I do, and I often see people doing the same thing, is when a problem shows up, we plead with the Lord to remove the problem. That's what we do. It's what I do. I'm like, God, listen, can, can, you, can you take this out of my life? And it's an acceptable request. I'm not going to lie to you. It's an acceptable request. But here's the thing. What I see in Scripture is a God who loves to operate where there's big challenges. I see a God who loves big obstacles. That's the God I see in Scripture. Benaniah was the lion or the Egyptian. We all know the story of David, Goliath. What a massive obstacle. God loves that. In fact, let me, let me take you to a story that many of you might know. The story of Gideon. Or because we're in Pretoria, the story of Gideon. <laughs> found in Judges chapter 7. This is where we hear of Gideon and the 300. It's an amazing story. An amazing story, but, but I think often what happens is we, we read it too quickly and we don't sit and feel the weight of the challenge that Gideon was experiencing. We don't feel that weight. And so I want us to read it, and I'm going to take us through it. 
And I want us to feel that, that the, the weight of the problem. But I also want to show you that we serve a God who loves those kinds of situations. A God who loves to move through the impossible. And so I'll start reading from verse 1. This is Judges chapter 7, verse 1. And it should be up on the screen. Early in the morning, Jerubal, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them, in the valley near the hill of Moreh. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands. So, so here's the situation. All right? They were going to fight the Midianites. And so Gideon had uh, been able to gather uh, 32,000 men. Right? 32,000 men from a few tribes to go and fight this battle. Now the Midianites, they had 135,000 men. We know this because uh, it gives a little more information in uh, Judges chapter 8, verse 10. So that's where we get the number from. So 135,000, and, and Gideon had, had been able to gather 32,000. Now those odds are 4 to 1. Right? So, so one of Gideon's men had to kill four Midianites for them to win the battle. Not completely out the question, hoping that maybe 60% of Gideon's men were the caliber of David's mighty men, right? So maybe they, could, maybe they could pull it off. With some strategy, clever thinking, they could pull it off. Four to one, not too bad. So God says, you have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. Announce now to the people, Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. The game just changed. So now they've gone from 32,000 to 10,000. You guys are good at maths. The odds are now what? 1 to 13 and a half. Let's round it up. 14. So one of Gideon's men had to kill 14 of the Midianites for them to win this battle. I would have been one of the guys that left. <laughs> like, I probably would have been standing there going, no, I'm going to stay, I'm going to stay. Whoa. What, Kenya, you leaving as well? <laughs> okay. Uh, no, maybe we can. Okay. Spoo, you leave. Uh, look, anyway, guys, I got to go. I've got places to be. I would have left. Out of fear, I would have left. 1 to 14. But it doesn't end there. Verse 4. But the Lord said to Gideon, they are still too many men. Don't some of our problems feel like that? It just, it just feels overwhelming. It's like, no, there's, come on. Come on, God. Come on. First the economy, now politically, now racially. What's happening on campus? The stu- Like, come on. I mean, we could do it. The the economically we could do it yeah we could we could figure it out and got some savings politically okay the elections around the corner we could racially oh it's back again and you get to the point where you feel like this i I can't anymore let's keep reading take them down to the water and i will sift them for you there if i say this one shall go with you he shall go but if i say this one shall not go with you he shall not go So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water like 
their tongues like a dog, with their tongues like a dog, from those who kneeled down to drink. Three hundred men lapped with their hands to their mouths. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the three hundred men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. They're now down to three hundred. I'll do the maths for you real quick. One to 450. Gideon's men, each man would have to kill 450 Midianites for them to win the battle. I mean, at this stage, I'm probably sitting, if I'd stayed, I'm, I'm like, this is a suicide mission. That's what's happening. But notice what God says in verse 7, and I'll read it again. With the 300 men that lapped, I, that's God speaking, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the other men go, each to his own place. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites to their tents, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. During the night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up. Go down against the camp because I am going to give it into your hands. I am going to give you this victory. It's the Lord who is at work, not us. Not us. Too often we ask God to reduce the odds to our favor. Too often we ask Him. We say, Lord, would you, would you remove these problems? And God says, no, I need you to trust me. I need you to put your faith in me. Because I'm the one that's going to bring the victory. I'm the one that's going into battle. Faith is trusting God, regardless of the odds. Faith is trusting God. When we talk about attitude, when we think about the successful entrepreneur or, or the athlete and go, man, it's the attitude that gets them over the line. No, no, for us, it's faith. Because no matter how good your attitude is, it will never be enough. You can have the, the greatest attitude in the world, but it will never be enough. We need to trust in God. And so faith is trusting God regardless of the odds. But here's our biggest problem. If you're a Christian here this morning, if you've crossed the line of faith, here's our biggest problem. As we don't understand who God is. We don't understand who God is. And so we look at our problems and we go, this is, man, this, and then we look to God and we look at our problems and I'm like, I just, I just don't know if he's going to do it. I don't know if he's going to do it. It's because I don't understand who God is. You see, for, for many of us, and I include myself in that us, God is like, is like the player that we take off the bench when we come to church. Or when we go to Christian events. That's who God is in our lives. He, he's the guy that's, okay, I've got to go to church this morning. God, would you come off the bench real quick? I've got to go do that Christian thing. When rather we should see God, not only as the star player of the team, not only as the coach, but the owner of this entire thing. God owns everything. 
And so because he owns it, he can move through it. He moves through the impossible. Our biggest problem is that we have a small view of God. And when we have a small view of God, we live in fear instead of living in faith. We live in fear instead of living in faith. And so therefore we need to think big. We need to have a a, a bigger view of who God is. We need to see him for who he is. Sovereign, almighty, fully in control. He is seated at his throne. God hasn't taken a bathroom break. He is seated on his throne, fully in control. That's the view of God we should have. So that leads me to the fourth point, which is the bigger God gets in your life, the smaller your problems get. The bigger God gets in your life, the smaller your problems get. And so then how do we enlarge our view of God? How do we do that? How do we enlarge our view of God? It's quite simple. Put yourself in a situation where the struggle that you're going through the challenge that you're going through, the difficulty that you're going through forces you to depend on God. It forces you to depend on God. And and here's how you do it. Simply acknowledge that you are not in control. Simply acknowledge that you are not in control. That you are not all-powerful, all-knowing. We may front, I'm sorry, to front, uh, to appear as you're not to front. Don't front. Your wisdom has limitations. Your strength has limitations. Your desire to provide has limitations. Acknowledge that. Acknowledge that. I spoke about this when, when we spoke about prayer. You see, for many of us, we, we think that the, the primary reason for prayer is to ask God for stuff. Now, again, don't get me wrong. We're, we're called to do that. In fact, Jesus invites us to ask God for stuff. But you know what prayer is? Prayer is acknowledging that you are not in control. Sadly, many of us only pray when we're going through tough times. When we get to the bottom of the barrel, When we get to that place where you go, you know what, my my wisdom can't take me any further. My money can't take me any further. My influence can't take me any further. Okay, I'm crying out to God now. My hope is that you would do that not only in the bad times, but in the good times. That you would trust Him. That's how you enlarge your view of God. Acknowledge that we are not in control. We need to admit our shortcomings, our limitations, of which we have many. I may stand up here and to some of you guys, you may look and go, man, that guy's got it all together. My wife knows I have many shortcomings, many limitations. Those close to me know that because I confess it to them. I hope that I confess it from up here regularly on a Sunday because I never want to come here and appear 
as I'm this guy who's got it all together. I, I don't. I desperately need God. And I'm saying it to you now this morning. We desperately need God. I love the legislation that's in this country. I believe this country has one of the best constitutions in the world. But what we've seen this year is, is an exposure to the reality that it'll never be enough. What we need is God who transforms the hearts of individuals. And in order to trust Him for that, we need to have a bigger view of who He is. We need to think big. If we're going to be courageous, we need to think big. And don't, and don't rank your problems. I find many people do this. Don't, don't, don't rank your problems. Don't go, you know what? I'm going to trust God for the church plant. But I don't know if I can trust him to speak to my neighbor who doesn't know Jesus. I'm going to trust God to provide financially for us, but nah, I don't know if I can trust him at work. Like, I feel like that's such a little thing and it's not important. Trust God for everything. For everything. God loves to operate in what we consider impossible. God cares about the big things. And he also cares about what we think are small things. And so if we're going to be courageous, if we're going to jump into the series and, and unpack some of those, those principles, those practical things that are going to help us to be courageous in the midst of uncertainty, we need to start by thinking big. We need to see God for who he is. And so I'm going to leave you with two questions. What are the areas in your life where you need to trust God? What are those areas? What are those areas? It might be financially. Maybe I need to trust God to just tell someone that I, I care for them and I, I love them or that I forgive them. What are those areas for you where you need to trust God? And then secondly, same thing just a different way. Where are the areas in your life where you need to see God bigger than your problems? Where are those areas? I'll close with a, with a quote from John Piper who wrote a book called Don't Waste Your Life, a phenomenal book. I would encourage you to pick it up and read it. Many of what I've spoken about this morning is found in that book where he says, don't, don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. Trust God for bigger things, for God-sized things, for things that will have an eternal kingdom impact. Be courageous. And so listen to this quote. It's about the greatness of God, not the significance of man. God made man small, and the universe big to say something about himself. What John Piper is saying here is profound. He says, as, as us humans, we look to the universe and go, wow, it's, it's so grand and amazing and big, and it just goes on forever and ever. How, how beautiful is the universe? I mean, look at us. We're so small in comparison to the beauty that is the galaxy. 
And Papa says, you know, God, God created that. And he didn't come up with like this beautiful blueprint and these strategies and God spoke it into existence. He merely spoke it into existence. That's how big God is. That's how great he is. That's how powerful he is. And that we are to fix our eyes on that. We're to think big. I'm encouraging you to think big. As, as we look into this week, and I can only imagine what's going to happen. I mean, it breaks my heart to see what we see in our country. It really does. It breaks my heart. But I'm asking you to help me to think big. Because I want to be courageous. When others are fleeing, I want to stand. I want to engage. And I need you guys to help me. We need each other. I say this week in, week out. We are beautifully designed to be in community so that we might remind one another to think big, to trust him, to put our faith in God through Jesus Christ by the power of his spirit. Let's pray. And so, Father, as, as we look to the week, and, and even as I say it, I, I feel this, this weight of, I, I don't know what it is. Many a times when I read Facebook posts, while I look at the articles over the internet that are capturing what's happening in our nation, I, I feel hopeless. I feel like I can't do anything. And sometimes that, that, that hopelessness turns to fear and that, that fear wants me to, to think about maybe I should leave. Maybe we should give this up. Maybe it's not working. Father, you know what that is for many of the people in the room. You know what keeps them up at night. Be it relationships, finances, or just the, the future in general. Father, I'm asking that you would press on our hearts this, this truth, this beautiful truth that you are bigger than our problems and that you love to work through impossibilities. Would you give us faith to trust in you? Would you shine your light in the places where we're not trusting in you? We desperately need you, Father. I desperately need you. So let our lives be completely yours. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' beautiful name, amen.